This is, to date, the most practical text that I have found about what we are trying to be about at the Grove. This is the most practical text that I have found. And let me tell you this. If you will adopt what we talk about today, then you are going to look back at this period of your life in the future and you're going to say, that was a time where I grew exponentially. That was a time that shaped me and that was a time that was exciting for me. And if you will adopt this way of thinking today, you are going to feel like you are part of something that is far bigger than yourself far bigger than anyone because God is part of it all and doing things that you did not think he would be doing. So today, we're looking at doubting Thomas and his new day. And I never realized in the past how important Thomas actually is, even for the disciples, even for their journey towards discovering God. See, today, Thomas is the skeptic of the group that actually surpasses the rest of the disciples in his proclamation of who Jesus is. The skeptic actually becomes the teacher, surpasses the rest of the disciples. And today, what we're doing is we're talking about an environment of how can we be a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt. So here's where we're going. Here's the questions. We're going to ask four questions today. First question is, what is this environment look like? A place where believers and skeptics have authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt. What does this environment need to look like? That's the first question. Second question is, why is this important? Third question, how do we do this? And then fourth, what is the message inside of this environment? So what does it look like? Why is it important? How do we do this? And what's the message? So first one, what's the environment? Last week we saw Jesus appear to 10 of the disciples. So so Judas is gone. We got 10 disciples because Thomas is not there. So the risen Jesus appears to 10 of the disciples, but Thomas is not there. And we see Thomas today come on the scene unconvinced of it all. So Thomas is better known as doubting Thomas. And I got to tell you that if Thomas's personality is what I think it is, he's one of my favorite types of personalities, and here's why. Because Thomas is passionate about what he believes, and he thinks really, really hard about what he believes. And so when Thomas doubts, he doubts. But when he believes, like we see in the verses today, he really believes. Here's the environment. See, what we see today, the ten disciples and Thomas, they're great friends. And here's why I say that they are great friends. For the last three years, Thomas has been with the rest of the disciples, and the disciples have been under the teaching of the greatest teacher in the history of the cosmos about God who is love and our God who is love and about creating people who love. And so you better believe that this environment is a picture of some really, really, really strong friendships. And what we have in front of us is a recipe with the right ingredients to produce Thomas's new day. You know that feeling, you know when it's hot out, but it's like the perfect hot, and you 
and you walk outside, or maybe you're at the beach, and you walk out, and it's hot, but at the same time, you get the chills somehow. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this perfect day. Well, this day right here, this is the perfect environment that creates Thomas's new day. It's the perfect environment for him to find the truth of the resurrection. What we have in front of us is the perfect environment where believers and skeptics have authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt, and look who's with them, Jesus. So last week, I said, okay, this is how you have to think of paradise. Think of paradise as an island in the middle of the ocean, and we're all longing to get to this island. And, and so we're longing to get here to that island. We got our eyes fixed on that island, and we're like sailboats. And the wind is behind us, pushing us, hopefully, towards the island. But guess what? This world has a current in it. And the current of this world is drawing us away from the island. And the Spirit of God is the wind pushing us, but the current is pulling us. But we don't have a sail. That's the problem. We're sailboats without a sail. And so we find Jesus, and we lift him up, and he becomes the sail that takes us right to that island. And along the way, we're journeying there, but then something happens. We get off course because the Spirit of God has shifted the wind has shifted and carried us somewhere else. And we're like, but the island's over there. I want to go over there, but we're being carried this way. And then doubt starts coming in. But you know what's happening? God is taking us on a mission. He's got something for us to do because there's another sailboat that's without a sail. And that other sailboat without a sail needs us to help them raise up the sail who is Christ so that they might get to this paradise as well. And so we go to them, and we maybe we're like a tugboat, and we bring them back, because we have to think of this. So the church is the, a big sailboat, and each and every one of us are going out on these missions. We're sent out by God out on these missions, and then to come back. Well, we're sent out on these missions to go and find other sailboats that are stranded, that don't have a sail, and either give them the sail who is Christ, or bring them back to the big sailboat, and we give them a sail then. Okay, so here is the question. We're out on this mission. We're coming back to the sailboat. So last, that was last week. This week we ask, what is the environment on this big sailboat? The answer is this right here. Believers, skeptics together, authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt. Right here. It's right here. Now, all of us, every single one of us, we have to do this together. This is not the job of a pastor alone, but this is all of us working together to build this kind of environment. So I want to tell you this. If you're in a discipleship group, if you're in a discipleship group, we have discipleship groups here. If you're in a discipleship group, here's what's happening. For the next year or seven months, depending on how quick you are in your discipleship groups, you're going to take, what you're going to find is at the end of a year, you will have grown closer to God exponentially after you look back at this year. Another thing that's going to happen is you're going to find that now at the end of this, you're going to have a passion to help create this kind of environment. But not just only here, but everywhere throughout the city where there are smaller environments happening, where there's communities of people like 10 and 10, 11, 12, and these people are all saying together, we want to just create this environment, like this smaller environment where believers and skeptics have authentic community honest conversations about faith and doubt. And what you're going to find is you have a passion that you didn't think you would have. 
and you have caught hold of the vision of God's kingdom coming. And the way to do this is for these communities to have genuine, genuine love for each other and honest conversations with, with, listen, listen, with great respect on both sides. Do you know, do you know how rare it is to find a group of people who don't believe the same thing that have respect for each other, but above that, not even just have respect for each other, but actually love each other and have these deep friendships? Like, it feels impossible, but yet it's happening right here. The church is a place of unlikely friendships. And here's what it has to look like. People who are friends, no matter what, because here's my guess. I think this is very true. If Thomas had said, I don't believe it. I still don't believe it. The disciples would still love him well. And the disciples would still be friends with him well. And because the disciples love Thomas so well, the disciples want to convince Thomas that the resurrection of Jesus is the most, histor- the, the most important historical fact ever. Yet, if Thomas does not believe it, they still say, Thomas, we're your friend. Because they love, because they've been taught by the greatest lover in the world, Jesus, how to love. You cannot control what people believe. But you can create an environment where people can discover and wrestle with the truth of Christianity. What will they make of Christ? What will we make of Christ? Now, most churches do not do this. Um, I think this is clearly laid out in Scripture. You know, it says even, in, even, even way back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it says, welcome the stranger among you as a native of your own. In other words, welcome everybody as if they are your own and love them as you love yourself. Two weeks ago, David Craig did the welcome. And the, how he started out was, we are a place that believes the Bible is as true today as it ever has been. What we're saying is the Bible is the, has, carries the most relevant message and carries the most creates the most relevant community the world will ever know. And if it is not, then it's just because the church has left the Bible. It's what the Bible is teaching us, to be a place like this. So now we ask this question. The first question is, what does it look like? Second is, why is this so important? Because it is a recipe for discovery. Discovery for both the Christian, and the skeptic. A place where skeptics can discover Christ and believers can rediscover Christ in a deeper and more intimate way. Listen, if you're a Christian, you've only begun to scratch the surface of knowing Christ. He goes, he, he, the, who he is, I mean, it is so beyond like, oh, hey, I've met Christ. Okay, now I know who he is. You spend a lifetime and you've only gotten to like 3% of who he is. So, Thomas 
He's a hero to the disciples. Because, right here, because, look at what he says. He makes a proclamation about Jesus right here that none of the other disciples have made up until this point. He verbalizes something that none of the disciples have said. He says, Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas gives the first verbal confession that Jesus is God. Thomas. Skeptic becomes the teacher to the rest of the disciples. They needed Thomas. And also, not only that, but let me tell you what happens. If there's an environment where believers and skeptics are together, then skeptics can talk about their doubts. But guess what that does? It creates a place where Christians can be honest about their doubts. And what ends up happening is when you start dealing with your doubts as a Christian, and you deal with it and deal with them in an environment where people are helping you, let's figure this out together, in the end, your faith increases. So typically, the Christian is taught, you've got these doubts, stuff them down. Don't talk about them. Pretend like they're not there. Just stuff them way down. And what that does is that is completely unhealthy. It completely hurts your faith because you've got these doubts and you're pushing them down, pretending like they're not there, and they're haunting your soul, but you're pretending like they're not there. And they haunt you and haunt you and haunt you until they end up catching up to you. You know, we have a skeptics-only Bible study. And in this group, I leave every single time, not discouraged, but encouraged. I feel like my faith is stronger because I've had to go into the doubts, wrestle with them, and then by doing that, I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I believe this is true. And so my faith is strengthened. You know, in our, in our skeptics-only Bible study, um, they've, they've said, hey, why don't, why don't we just like, because all, all the Christians are like, I want to come to this. And the skeptics are like, why don't we invite the Christians? And I say, Here, here's why right now. Because I'm scared of them coming into this. Because <laughs> we have Christians we have gotten so used to living in the bubble that we don't know how to talk about Jesus with our doubts there. But now, I, th- I mean, I think we're ready for this. I think all of us should be exposed to this. So listen, if you're a Christian and you're like, I want to come to the Skeptics Only Bible Study, you can come, but you need to bring somebody that doesn't believe. You need to bring a skeptic with you. And then if you come, you need to be honest about your own doubts and just come and be like, oh, Here's something that I have stuffed down for a long time. I got to deal with this. Can we talk about it? And you come that way. Um, so we're, we are a new church. We're a year and a half in. And one of the things that new churches do, especially now because starting new churches is harder now than it ever has been, is we raise money. So what I do is I've been going to other churches, telling them about what we're doing, asking for support. And when I tell them what we're doing, I say, we're a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt. They get super pumped. And then at some point, though, someone says, yeah, but hey, aren't you worried that this is going to just lead all the Christians astray? I say, not at all. Because 
this kind of environment will allow the Christian to say, oh, I can finally talk about these doubts that I've been stuffing down for 20 years. What about this? And, and many times the answer is so simple. And then it's like, oh, 20 years. I've been stuffing that down. And the answer was this simple. This is crazy. And I also say, when I meet with these church leaders, I say, don't be so quick to think that Christians are not exposed to people who are arguing against Christianity. It's everywhere. Why do you think so many students in high school, they're Christians, they've grown up in the church, and they go away to college, and they have this faith crisis? Why do you think that happens? Because they have not been taught, they have not been equipped how to deal with the doubts that they have. And all of a sudden, they're in this environment where doubts are being thrown all over the place at them, and they're like, I don't know what to do here, and they just have a faith crisis. We've got to be a place where skeptics can discover Christ and Christians can rediscover Christ so that they, by walking through their doubts. You know, you know what the, the Bible calls sin a lot of different things. One of the things it calls, calls sin is unbelief. Do you know what that means? If you're a Christian, every single time that you sin, do you know why? It means you have a belief problem. It means somewhere there is a doubt that's plaguing you, that's causing you to do whatever it is that you're doing. And you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing stories about church leaders who maybe they grew up in the church, maybe they just entered in the church and they were super talented. And someone saw their talent and they said, oh, we're going to make you one of our leaders. And they become a leader. And then all of a sudden, because they're a leader, they're in an environment where I can't talk about the stuff. I have all these doubts, but I got to stuff them down because that's what everybody else is doing around me. So I got to do it, especially because I'm a leader. And then years, years from then, this leader has a faith crisis and they just leave the church or they leave the faith or something happens. I hear stories about this over and over and over again. I had the privilege of meeting and hanging out with an old Baptist pastor. And he long ago left the faith. He quit, left his faith. He's passed away now. And what he told me was he was, he was a preacher. He was preaching. He was a pastor. And he had all these doubts. He just left them there. And then over time, he just said, I can't do this anymore. And he left. He didn't feel like he could tell anybody about it until he was done. I'm convinced if he had somebody that he could just talk to about this, it would have renewed his faith telling you your doubts if you will jump into them. These are opportunities for you to grow in faith, not for your faith to crumble. And you know what else? I've seen, I've seen this, too, this too many times. There's a wife, and she wants her husband to come to church. And he's like, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And then finally she says, please. And he says, okay, I'll come for a month. And he's got all these doubts, all these questions. So he comes for a month and sits and sits and sits. And none of his doubts 
None of his questions go addressed. And so he says, you see, I told you, the church is in la-la zone. They're not dealing with reality. I'm out of here. I'm done. I gave it a shot. I'm done. <laughs> look, look, if we can just embrace this, if we can embrace being this, what we're going to find is that this is the recipe for flourishing faith for the Christian, and it's a, it's a recipe for discovery for the skeptic. Or, let me say it this way, don't be so skeptical about being a place for believers and skeptics. Okay, so that's why it's important. How do we do this? Here's how. We make it our mission to talk together about faith and doubt with love and respect without bullying. You're like, bullying? Yeah. Look, let me show you what I mean. There's 10 believing disciples, and there is Thomas. And they are all working together to figure out what to make of Jesus. Like, what do we make of Jesus? What do we make of Jesus? With love and respect, we have to wrestle with what to make of Jesus. And Thomas, you know this, he feels loved enough to talk to his friends about his doubts. And his friends are ready to die for this. And he says, okay, you're ready to die for it? Fine, but guess what? I don't believe it's true. And he feels loved and respected enough to talk about it. So many people are bullied into believing things to believe something, but it never gets into their heart. Now this, I'm telling you, this is a major, major problem in churches today. We've gotten really good at manipulative bullying. But it doesn't work in the long run. It produces a fast and phony result. The church has the most relevant message that the world could know, and it's creating a community of people who, are, who ought to be the most relevant community of people to the world around it. Yet the church is seen as irrelevant because we've left the message. And we are not willing, or, or we are not willing to be patient and respectful and persuasive enough with people. And this goes on all, this goes on all sides. There's bullying everywhere. Everywhere there is bullying. Christians are bullying skeptics. Skeptics are bullying Christians. I'm going to tell you a story, and it'll make sense when I finish. So when I was growing up, I played baseball, and I loved being a catcher. That was my favorite thing to do. And so I get into high school, and in high school, there's a guy that's supposed to be like, he's the best, he's going to go pro. And so everybody says, hey, David, you should probably stop catching. I'm like, oh, man, that's all I've been doing. I don't really know. Yeah, you should stop catching. Go to first. It's kind of similar. So I say, okay, I'll go to first. So I go to first base, and the thing about catching is, you, I mean, balls are thrown in the dirt. You got to pick them up out of the dirt. So I got good at that because I caught my whole life. Well, I get over to first base, and there's this game that we have where JV and varsity are playing together. So, so I'm over there, and for some reason, all the balls are in the dirt. So I'm picking the balls up out of the dirt, and after the game's over, everyone's like, man, you did really good. Like, that's, like this is your spot. So I'm feeling pretty pumped. So the first real game comes. The ball's hit just in the infield. Guy catches it, he's throwing it over to me. 
It's a perfect throw. So it's coming in, and when you're at first, you step into it. When you're a catcher, you wait for the ball to come, but at first you step into it. Well, I'm not used to that. So this perfect throw misses my mitt, or I miss the ball. And then I hear my coach, and he is mad. So I look over at him, and at this point in my life, I, I'm 14 years old. I have never seen an adult man look that angry at me before in my life. And I got freaked out. I got scared. I felt like a failure. Now, listen, I know this is, what, this is the way you motivate people, but let me tell you what, this did not work for me. It just scared me, and it made me horrible at first base. And then the game is over, and we're, all, we're in this circle, and, you know, the coach is mad, and particularly at me. And so he says, Hancock, I could have put a trash can over at first base and it would have done better than you. I'm like, oh man, this is like, this is killing. And my friends are like, they're not doing a good job at holding back their laughter. So it's just getting worse and worse. And I'm going to tell you, so this did not work for me. Now, I know that this is like, some people are very motivated by this, but this did not work for me, okay? So here's, here's what I'm saying. And if you're a coach, I have, no, I, have no, uh, I have nothing to say about like how you should coach, but here's what I am saying. There's a, there's a kind of bullying, not in coaching, but culturally. There's a cultural bu- bullying, and it's found its way into churches. And by the way, do not think that you are immune to cultural bullying. All of us. We have beliefs, and we believe them because we have been bullied culturally into believing them. And there is a cultural pressure in bullying that you will find in churches that are saying, hey, you want to fit in, don't you? You want to fit in? Well, here's what you got to believe. And here's the things that you got to do. And here's how you got to live. All the while, we are ignoring getting into people's hearts. So we produce a bunch of robots, people who are doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, say, I believe this, I believe this, when they have no idea what they're believing. They've just been bullied into believing something. We have to be patient with each other on all sides if we're going to get truth into the heart. You can't force it in. You have to have conversations with people with love and with respect and sitting beside each other, not arguing through social media, but sitting beside each other, having conversations. Patience. And sure, some person might believe after one sermon. But most people, and some people might say, I'm out of here after one sermon. But most people, it takes time for them to discover what they believe to be true. That means patience, prayer, lots of conversations about Jesus and about the world and about sin and about death and about life and heaven and hell and everything else in between. But so that's the environment. That's how we do it. But not only do we have to create this environment, we've got to get the message right. 
we miss the message, we've, we've failed completely. Some churches are good at getting the message right, but you don't want to walk into that door. Because if you've got a doubt, you're going to keep it to yourself. Some churches are really good at making you feel like welcomed and you can say whatever it is that you want to say, but what they do is they shy away from what the Bible's saying about Jesus. What we're trying to do is both. Be a place of authentic community, love and respect, yet honest conversations about faith and doubt and what the Bible's saying and what Jesus is saying about himself. And here's the message. Jesus is the Lord and God who brings peace. Meaning, peace. Peace is complete flourishing with God, like your relationship with God is back. It's restored. Things are the way it's supposed to be. He loves you. You love him. And you're flourishing in your relationship with him. And you're growing because you have found God. And he's molding you more and more into who you're made to become. And he's molding you, the, the world around you through you and more and more into what it ought to be. Heaven is coming upon the earth through his people. And one day God says, I'm going to make all things right. Because I've risen from the grave and I've risen and I'm going to come back and make all things right. That's peace. But look at what Thomas says very personal. He says, my Lord and my God. Very, very personal. And he does that with you too. That's why it's essential. Believers and skeptics, look who's there with him, Jesus. Jesus is right there with him. And by the way, what Thomas says is absolutely crazy because Thomas is a Jewish man and the Jewish people have been saying over and over and over again, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's one God. So how in the world could he say that Jesus is God? How can he say that? Because it's all throughout the Bible. One God, three persons. In the Old Testament, there's hints everywhere. In the New Testament, it's practically screaming at us. Watch this. In the, so God makes humanity. Here's what he says. Let us make man in our image. Why would God not say, I'm going to make man in my image? He doesn't. He says, let us make man in our image. All the way back in the beginning. Hence, one God, three persons. I, do you want me to explain that to you? Give me like 20 years. The chief question, though, for all of humanity is what are we going to make of Jesus Christ? And like Thomas, Jesus gets very personal with us. He meets Thomas's, Thomas right in the midst of his doubts. Look, if you want to meet Jesus, you've got to bring your doubts to him. You can bring them here, but eventually you got to bring them to him. If you want to meet him, you got to take your doubts straight to him. And here's the thing. If you want to meet him, you can't just come to him like, 
like he's down here be like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to figure out who you are. Like we're over this authority over him. We have to come to him like Thomas comes to him where he says, my Lord and my God. That is when we discover him. Not when we are above him, but when we come and we say, God, I'm, I'm desperate for you, my Lord and my God. There's packed with meaning with him saying, my Lord and my God. He's saying, you're the God who delivers. You're the God who rescues. You don't come to a rescuer looking down on him. You come to a rescuer. You're the sailboat. You're lifting your hands up to him. You're in the water. You need to be pulled out of it. That's how you come and discover Christ. And all of us, every single day, that's how we discover him. If you feel like you've, you're a Christian, but where is God? Where is God? Where is God? You're likely like this. God, what about this in my life? God, what about that in my life? God, what about that in my life? And you are approaching him, not saying, my Lord and my God. You are saying, prove it, prove it, prove it. That's not how you discover him. But when you come to him, as my Lord and my God. It's then you're going to find the God who says, ah, oh, oh, all your sins, completely forgiven. Grace showered upon you. I love you, he says. I'm going to the cross for you. I'm dying for you. I'm giving my life for you. Not so that just so that you can be rescued for eternity, but so even right now you could begin to grow more and more into who you're created to be. But it's not just for me to take you there now. You have a mission and a work to do here where you are. There are other sailboats that don't have sails. Give them me. And he says, and then one day I'm going to make all things right. And it feels so distant and so far off. Paradise feels like impossible, like a speck so far away. But he says, but I promise you, the hope inside of you is there because it's teaching you to come to me. And once you go to him, he says, now go get your friends. Go get your family. I want to give to them what I have just given to you. Father, we pray that we could be a place like this. God, let us just be honest with you about our doubts and stop trying to live up to this expectation that we think is placed upon us. And let us just be honest about our own doubts as Christians. And God, as skeptics, let us come to you and just say, God, help me understand you. God, we're desperate for this. God, help us to be this kind of place. Help us to be excited about it. Help us to charge forward to be like this. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.